0: Now for this month's special series on Reach MD, Focus on Future Medicine. We're looking ahead to pivotal breakthroughs and technologies that will transform healthcare in the coming years.
1: You are listening to ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special program focusing on the future of medicine. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, your host. Joining us today is Dr. Justin Sanchez, director of the Neuroprosthetics Research Group at the University of Florida, here to discuss the development of a brain machine interface for use with prosthetic devices that not only translates brain signals into movement, but learns to adapt to a person's behavior over time. Dr. Sanchez, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you so much for having me.
1: So, can you tell me what exactly are neuroprosthetics?
0: So, neuroprosthetics are devices that seek to restore communication and control in patients that have a damaged nervous system. And the quite remarkable aspect of neuroprosthetics is that they bypass or replace damaged neural tissue using engineered devices. We seek to develop electronics that directly interface with the brain and we can read out some important information from the brain and then use it to communicate or control with a rehabilitation type of of device.
1: So it sounds, I mean, to me, the lay doctor like a pacemaker for the brain.
0: That's exactly right, but very different from a pacemaker is that we have active and smart types of prosthetics. So they don't just simply pace the brain, Mm -hmm. but they read out information from the brain and interpret that information and use it in a functional way.
1: So what is the current state of development in terms of these brain-machine interfaces? Where are we?
0: So right now there's uh, international research that's going on to develop the hardware to directly interface with the brain, as well as a lot of signal processing and signal analysis types of tools that can be used to decode what the brain is telling us. This problem of the neural code, as it is represented in the firings of of ensembles of neurons, is a real significant challenge. And we're really trying to unlock that neural code and use it for treatment and rehabilitation.
1: What's advanced lately in your particular research?
0: Yeah, so the area that we're really making a, a lot of progress in is in the smart prosthetic type of design. So if you go back and look to see what has been done in this area, there's lots of proof of concept. For example, let's say a person has a spinal cord injury. You put one of these prosthetics in their brain. They can think about moving, and they can control a a robotic arm or a computer. But now, just imagine when that patient gets out of the hospital and they want to be using these devices in their activities of daily life. The neural code and the thought patterns and their intents are going to change over time, and this will really require a smart prosthetic to really work and assist that patient in interacting with the environment.
1: So does this interface or this chip actually learn?
0: Yes. Yeah, so that's uh, the real novel aspect of our design here is that this chip continuously learns with the patient over time. So the principle that we use within the smart prosthetic is, is based upon reinforcement learning, right? As behaviors that are used that enable the patient to be successful in, in their behaviors, we reinforce those types of patterns. And this type of learning continues over and over and over again as that patient uses this prosthetic. So there, there's lots of theories for, for how reinforcement learning is actually used in everyday life just within our brains. But now we're kind of harnessing this concept and putting it into the prosthetic.
1: Now, does the chip go in the brain? Does it go on the brain, over the brain, all over the place?
0: Yeah, so there's a variety of designs, and ways that you can actually build some of these devices. The critical piece that first needs to happen is that you need to have some sort of electrodes or interface directly with the tissue. So those parts actually go into the brain or they can sit on the surface of the brain. But then once you have those signals, you want to transmit them out to some maybe tiny implantable electronics that may, let's say, sit underneath the scalp, in between the skull and the scalp. And you could possibly wirelessly transmit these signals out of the brain to some sort of smart device that also does the decoding. Okay, so the first step is to interface with the brain, get the signals. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second step is to transmit those signals out of the head. And the third step is to decode them in some sort of computer type of base processor. And this computer processor could be a wearable device, let's say like a PDA, So you could have a fully self-contained type of prosthetic device that the person wears with them in their activities of daily life.
1: How does it compare to deep brain stimulation, which exists today?
0: So deep brain stimulation is also a a way of interfacing with the brain. But again, this one also is just pacing the brain. It does not have the type of intelligence that we're talking about here.
1: So it can't can't sense, I'm in a bad mood. I'm going to stimulate part of the brain right now.
0: That's exactly right so one of the, the real frontiers in this area of research is developing more responsive types of prosthetics. So in the case of DBS, they want to make responsive neural stimulators. In the case of neuroprosthetics for restoring, let's say, movement, we want to have these responsive and intelligent types of prosthetics. And this would definitely be the wave of the future here. We're not going to be doing so much pacing, but we're going to listen to the brain, we're going to interpret what it's telling us, and we're going to respond as effectively as possible given those signals.
1: How about a real-life example where you've used it in humans thus far?
0: Yeah, so we have, done some limited research in humans so let me just tell you about the structure and how we're translating these technologies we first developed cutting-edge technology in animal laboratories. So this is hardware design, electrode design, computer algorithm type of design. And once we show proof of concept uh, in those animal types of studies, we translate it directly to the clinic. So my affiliation is with biomedical engineering and with the division of pediatric neurology. Mm-hmm. So there's a set of patients that we can use these devices with and, and show proof of concept there also.
1: So kids with epilepsy.
0: Yeah. So one of the challenges is trying to get these electrodes into the brain in the appropriate areas, and there are a of children that are being monitored at the University of Florida for epilepsy surgery. And while they're here during that time, we have a, a window, an opportunity to implement some of these brain machine interfaces and show that they can restore communication and control. So it's just a wonderful pathway to both discovery and developing new therapies.
1: So tell me a little bit more about what's happened when you've done that with the kids that are perhaps waiting for surgery.
0: Yeah. So there's actually a, you know, two very interesting examples, both in animals and, and in humans. First, the conversion between, let's say, physical control and brain control. So when I say brain control, I mean that a, an individual is using a prosthetic just on their own volition, their own thoughts. That transition is, is very quick. It's quite remarkable how an individual incorporates this new device into their own being, right? So they don't see this device because it's so intimately linked with their nervous system. It's not seen as something that's external. Mm -hmm. It's something that is really perceived as an extension of their own bodies. So that transition is quite fast and, and quite remarkable and shocking. You can do quite robust control with that. But now, using that device over the long periods of time in their activity of daily life, that's where we're really starting to see the challenges here. And that's where the, the smart prosthetics are starting to come in.
1: Have you watched the Matrix trilogy?
0: I definitely have seen that.
1: And so did that. has that affected you in any way?
0: Yeah, so it's quite interesting that a lot of cutting-edge scientific research gets inspiration from science fiction. And the part that I'm so excited about is that we can bring these technologies to reality and we can use them to help improve the lives of patients. And and I really think that improving the way that we interact with devices in the future. Right now, many of the devices that we interact with, the computers, they're not so natural extensions of our body, and that really creates barriers for how we, we communicate with them. And if we could use some of these new prosthetics, to enhance the way that we communicate, I think that will bring great societal types of benefits.
1: If you've just tuned in, you're listening to a special segment on the future of medicine on ReachMD the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, your host, and I'm talking with Dr. Justin Sanchez, who's the director of the Neuroprosthetics Research Group at the University of Florida. We're talking about a brain-machine interface that's used with prosthetic devices that not only translates brain signals into movement, but can actually learn to adapt to a person's behavior over time. I imagine there's a group of people out there that don't share your desires that are kind of scared by this. So is there other people kind of putting barriers up in place?
0: I think that with every technology, it can be used in a variety of ways. We always, as researchers dedicated to human health, are trying to use those technologies in the right way. The analogy that I always give to both students and people interested in this aspect is I say, imagine that one of your family members was disabled in such a way that they could not communicate or or interact with you in a meaningful way. You would do anything in your power to help that person's life. And and that's exactly what we're doing here. We're using our talents, we're using our skills and abilities to develop technologies that improve human health. And that's the bottom line. I, I think that for that reason alone, there's no question why these things should not be built.
1: What's the downside? Are there toxicities? Are there side effects? Are there infections? You know, everything has a potential dark side.
0: That's right. There's a cost. So with all implantable devices, there's immune response. And there are a lot of groups around the world working on the immune response to these types of implantable devices. And it's ongoing. I think uh, a lot of work needs to be done in the future.
1: Although the brain, I th- you know, I thought the brain was relatively spared. And that's why brain tumors can get so big because the immune system's not so great in the brain.
0: Right. So uh, when I speak about immune responses, I mean that these electrodes, they have to be functional. They have to sense information from the brain. And if those electrodes become, let's say, encapsulated or blocked from sensing the relevant information from the brain, then we will be less effective in, in delivering therapy. So this is the aspect that really needs to be solved in these types of interfaces. The second aspect that is ongoing is developing small, low-power, wireless types of technologies that can be implanted into the brain and that can really harness massive amounts of information, right? We have uh, billions of, of neurons, and we need to harness many of them to really uh, to have effective types of control. So these types of electronics, that are necessary is really a leading-edge technology, so that's definitely ongoing research. And then, again, the third area is unlocking the neural code. How do we develop sophisticated algorithms that interpret effectively what the brain is telling us, responds to that information from the brain, and and delivers effective types of therapies?
1: Justin, are there any clinical trials going on right now in humans?
0: Yes. So there's one clinical trial that was led by a group from a company called Cyberkinetics, And I know that that's opening a lot of doors and we're making great strides in this area and trying to apply some of our technology in some upcoming trials. So I think it's really a consortium type of effort that needs to be made in this area. There are so many wonderful unanswered questions about how the brain operates in these scenarios. There are so many unanswered questions about new neurotechnologies that can be developed and employed in these environments. And it's really going to take a group effort and really millions and millions of dollars to bring it to reality. So we all have to work together in in this effort. Well,
1: who's coming up with those millions of dollars? Where are you getting your grant money?
0: Yeah, so the National Institutes of Health has a neuroprosthesis program. The National Science Foundation also has a neural interface program, and also the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA, who has invented a lot of leading-edge technologies. They have a revolutionary prosthesis program. So there's a lot of federal programs that are directed towards this area. But as you can imagine, the, the difficulties and complexities of this problem are, are really going to require much, much more funding. And something that I would like to see in the future is really the coupling between private industry foundations and federal funding to bring this to life. I, again, I really feel this consortium effort is going to be necessary to do it the right way. We often have a, a saying that, neuroprosthesis are, at least my generation's, mission to the moon. And uh, you can imagine to take on such a challenge like that, it's going to take a real directed effort. So that's something that we're working on in the future.
1: Now, besides curing paralysis and epilepsy, any thought or work towards changing human behavior like drug addiction?
0: Yeah, So this is another area that's starting to emerge from neuroprosthesis. We're starting to realize, right, that If we can unlock the neural code, we can tap into very specific parts of the brain, right? So not only motor, but some of the memory areas. So for treating Alzheimer's, for drug addiction, we may be able to tap into the reward centers. There's, I really think, unlimited possibilities. Whenever you can identify an abnormally functioning part of the brain, once we unlock the code of that function and and, and implement one of these prosthetics we could potentially treat that disorder. So um, this is a real exciting neural technology frontier for the future.
1: Dr. Sanchez, how old are you?
0: I'm 31 years old.
1: All right. So when you are 50, what do you see, uh, you know, use your wildest fantasy, look into your crystal ball. What would you like to see this technology doing?
0: Yeah. So I I often dream about this aspect here and, and I say, what would be my vision for the future of these technologies? And One side of me says that you would see a person on the street and not realize that they have this prosthetic in their brain, yet they are still communicating and controlling some devices just directly. So it's quite interesting. There's all of this frontier technology, but it would be implemented in such a natural and seamless way that you wouldn't even know that is there. So this natural extension of your brain and communicating with a wide variety of devices, that's really this vision of the future. You're not necessarily limited by your arms or your speech or your movements, but you express your own volition and thoughts directly from your brain. There's this other kind of analogy that's out there that we've been thinking about, tool use, right? In in the history of mankind, the use of tools has really enabled our culture and our society to develop. And... I think that we are developing a new set of tools that allow us to express our intent in a much more effective and direct way, in a much more unconstrained type of way. So the potential for how that allows us to communicate, I think, is very vast, and I'm looking forward to seeing it happen in the future.
1: Use your wildest fantasy, look into your crystal ball. What would you like to see this technology doing?
0: I often dream about this aspect here, and I say, what would be my vision for the future Of these technologies and one side of me says that you would see a person on the street and not realize that they have this prosthetic in their brain yet they are still communicating and controlling some devices just directly so there's all of this frontier technology but it would be implemented in such a natural and seamless way that you wouldn't even know that is there you're not necessarily limited by your arms or your speech or your movements but you express your own volition and thoughts directly from your brain
1: Well, Dr. Justin Sanchez, I also look forward to see what you come up with in the future and thank you for talking with us today. Thank you so much. Dr. Justin Sanchez is director of the Neuroprosthetics Research Group at the University of Florida and he was here talking about brain-machine interfaces and the future. I'm Dr. Larry Kaskill, and you've been listening to a special segment on the future of medicine on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. Please visit our website at reachmd.com, which features our entire library through on-demand podcasts. And thanks for listening. You've
0: been listening to this month's special series, Focus on Future Medicine. For a program guide and a complete list of shows, please visit us at reachmd.com.